Hello, and welcome to VoIP for Independent Telecoms, the podcast for local service providers who want to offer great services on a resilient network. I'm your host, Andrew Ward from Award Consulting, and I'm joined today by Matt Townend, Executive Director of Cavell Group. Welcome, Matt. Thank you very much for having me, Andrew. It's a great pleasure. For those listening who don't know about you or about Cavell, could you share a little bit about yourself and the kind of stuff that you do? Yeah, Cavell is a is a European based consultancy business and research business, and we provide insight into the cloud comms market, both research, consulting, um, more on the commercial and product side, and also events. And we also do a lot of work in the M&A field. So we do a lot of commercial diligence at the moment and working on a lot of the deals that you'll have seen. And our events, we, we do a thing called the Cloud Comms Summit, which is in the US and in Europe, where we bring together the industry. And also, I'm a board director of the CCA, the Cloud Comms Alliance, which is originally a US association of all the cloud comms providers around the world, actually. Great. And for those listening, trying to tell us apart, this is the first time I've had somebody who is British on the podcast with me. So you can tell the difference because the one with the genuine strong British accent is Matt and the one with the messed up mid-Atlantic mixture of American and British is me. So uh, that, that should hopefully help you tell us apart. Yeah. So I wanted to have you on. I We've worked together on a project um, a few years ago and I really enjoy reading the analysis that you and your team uh, share publicly. You cover a lot of ground and I just find a lot of value in the high-level strategic view of the industry that you bring. And I think it feels like there's not a lot of people kind of in this particular space in this industry. I'm curious about your story to bring you to where you are today. What led you to be doing this particular kind of work in the telecoms industry? Well, it's it's an interesting story. So I'm what you call a telecoms veteran, I guess, uh, although that's scary now. My career started in the first ISP in the world, people might remember, called Pipex and then Unit. And then I started working for a company called Worldcom, which some people will remember as well. And I ran all their channels and in Europe through Chapter 11, which was rather an exciting experience. And then I decided I want to go to the first, what was the first VoIP company or one of the first VoIP companies in Europe? And that was possibly about 17 years ago now. So I went to work for a company called Inclarity, is a UK-based carrier. And after about a year, we were at that point owned by Russian investors, or, so actually not Russian investors, Eastern European investors. And I used to be on the end of board meetings where I'd be talking about the number of users, and they would be producing a Gartner report or an IDC report. It would be saying the market was 5 billion. And I'd be counting the number of users on our hands and feet combined and thinking there's something quite not quite right here. So, And I knew the other service providers in the UK market at that time. So I decided there was an opportunity to build a research and consulting business, really helping service providers understand the opportunity around the migration to IP. And that that's really what started the business and a couple of mergers with some other businesses on the way. But that was really my story. So my story is I came from the telecoms industry on the product and commercial side and then really saw this opportunity and really was frustrated on the side of trying to get insight into the market and it not really being available there for us. So that was the essence of where what is now Cavell came from was that want for actionable insight that I could really use myself in the industry. And therefore, we started working with US customers and in, in, in Europe extensively. We've actually worked in 
32 different countries around the world wow. with service providers over the last 15 years, helping them deal with that challenge. Mainly, I know, Andrew, you specialize in where we come as on the technical side. More, We're more specialized on the kind of commercial and product front side. So thinking about the market opportunity, proposition, strategy, those sorts of those sorts of areas, um, and yeah, that's um, it's been quite a it's been a fun ride, and it's a really hot topic in the last three years, and we've been working in it probably for fifteen, so it's kind of a slow burn to a really big topic now. So yeah, that's kind of the, where we've come from, and I guess how we and we're growing very very fast, and that business has changed over the years, uh, and now we focus a lot on M and A as well as on some of the traditional strategy areas as people are looking to a lot of consolidation going on in the space. So, yeah, that's really, really the, the background. And also I saw this opportunity where there was nowhere where service providers met anymore. There was lots of events for the channel, for enterprise. So you've got Enterprise Connect in the US. You've got lots of channel events. And we realized there wasn't really a place where service providers came together and shared thoughts. So that was the start of the Cloud Comms Summit about seven years ago. And we've been running that now the third edition is coming up in the US or in Phoenix on the 20th to 22nd of September. So that's kind of how the business has, has grown. Yeah, that's great. It uh, sounds like quite a journey. And yeah, if you uh, give me the link later, I can make sure that we've got the link for the CloudCom Summit uh, in September, which we'll put in the show notes on the website for the podcast so that people can learn more about that. Yeah, I wanted to have you on um, in part because you do come at the industry from a different angle from my kind of technical perspective. And there's a few different you know things I'd like to cover you know in the kind of that strategic M&A view and kind of what's going on in the industry in the future and so on. But I think it would be good to start with the big one from my perspective and this topic where I need to be very careful to stay in my role as interviewer, which is the Microsoft Metaswitch acquisition. Let's start there. Why do you think Microsoft bought Metaswitch and how do you think this integration is going to play out? Uh, so why did Microsoft buy Metaswitch? I think a lot for voice skills as well as platform capability and also to help power there is your for operators angle so obviously metaswitch has a lots of different angles within its business from its max capability on the mobile engagement to its core kind of soft switch to its spc business to some of the stuff it was doing in mobile and i think some of the the mobile elements were actually were actually interestingly the key maybe the key drivers of the initial acquisition and i talk a lot to microsoft and i talk a lot to metaswitch as you do in all those companies and I think what Microsoft are realizing is potentially realizing things that they didn't realize they bought initially may have some more value than they originally um, originally envisaged. So I think if we looked at where which part of Microsoft the business went into, initially I think it was driven quite a bit by some of the mobile elements. But over time, there is the elements that can improve Teams. There is some of the SBC elements, which we're now seeing being part brought in more as part of the overall Azure operators. So, And I think you can't underestimate the skills element here. So Microsoft, as they moved into this area, there was potentially a lack of technical and commercial and sort of knowledge and, and skills. And I think that was one of the big elements of the purchase as well. So I think we're going to see in the next few months, and we're already seeing some things 
as things sort of flush out about where, how closely uh, Microsoft and, and MetaSwitch, where the strategy goes. And, and there's a kind of a fine line to walk on some of those areas. The SBC area is quite a fine line to walk between upsetting other major SBC vendors and also empowering MetaSwitch to play more of a role. So I think they bought it for those reasons. I think they're finding kind of new areas obviously it had a metaswitch and a lot of the listens here will uh, imagine be metaswitch customers so i mean obviously metaswitch had a strong customer base quite a different customer base when you look globally so you know a strong ILEC base in the u.s less so in 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 europe some different types of customers more um some on the sbc side and but a very strong traditional u.s base again being a brit quite an eye-opener to see a british company actually build more of its business in the heartland of the u.s than actually you know in europe as such so uh I think there was an element of customer base, but I think it was more about the product and skills, particularly around some of the mobile enablement. But now I think more and around some of the 5G and those those elements. But I think also now we're seeing some of the benefits from some of the other core capabilities. Yeah, that's interesting, The as you describe it kind of as a journey, because it was certainly very noticeable to me that the initial announcement was all talking about yeah, wireless stuff, right? About the mobile packet core and all of that kind of stuff. But you're right. I We have seen more prominence of the perimeter in recent months and the Azure for Operators has become key. So it sounds like you think there's a potentially a journey where they started on the, the mobile stuff and then they kind of begin to see the value of the perimeter. And then do you think there is a more of a UCAS Teams, Max UC, those kind of features play eventually? I'm less certain about the Max UC piece, although, you know, I'm told there is interest there. And I mean, and I think the other thing we looked at when we first saw it was all the people involved in the announcements were from the mobile. It went into the, initially, it went into the mobile part of Microsoft. But, yep. you know, more and more, I think there was an announcement today about Perimeter, actually. I must have a look around its role in Azure for operators. So, I think we're seeing now, as you say, that become more important. We have you know, open lines of communication with those guys. We we ran a, a webinar, well, we ran a, an afternoon event on Microsoft a few weeks ago, and we had the guys from Microsoft and MetSwitch and everybody speaking. So I think uh, that's kind of the journey. And micro, the problem is <laughs> Microsoft is a huge place as well. I mean, some of the people I know have gone to work there. Some of the team uh, said, you know, it's like 2,500 marketing people, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know, trying to find, trying to, I think people are sort of, finding it as they go oh i didn't realize that you know in the team's team or oh, i didn't realize we got that capability so yeah i think initially we've seen definitely the role of uh, azure for operators and perimeter and the sbc stuff and that coming in max is an interesting comment because microsoft are very interested in seeing how you can extend teams to mobile and it is one of the big areas that service providers look at in differentiating at the moment when i talk to service providers about direct routing and where they're going with microsoft a lot of them certainly in europe are looking at how they can offer mobile solutions on top and at the moment they're kind of having to work around teams almost not work but you know it's not an obvious technical solution so we've seen um there's some interesting examples of T-Mobile in the Netherlands and um, a few others who have launched kind of mobile Teams deployments. 
And so, yeah, I can see that being a logical kind of next step. I don't think they were there. We did some of the work actually with Meta on the proposition around Max. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, I think we'll wait and see. I think there's definitely some skills and knowledge there that will be used, whether it's kind of a definite lift and shift of the technology, I'm not quite so sure. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the announcement you referenced from a couple of days ago is that they've announced that Perimeter is the first SBC to be yeah. certified basically for Azure for operators, but it's like Azure communication services. So I think Microsoft's kind of Twilio equivalent software apps in there are now certified to use Perimeter. And like you were saying about that balance with the, the SBC vendors, Perimeter is their first and currently only SBC that's certified, but one would imagine they're going to add others later like they did with direct routing. Yeah, yeah. I would be very surprised if they don't, because uh, although Perimeter was a successful SBC, some of their largest global customers, you know, in terms of carriers where they're going for strategic relationships aren't necessarily Perimeter customers. So they have to be a little careful there. Yep. Yep, absolutely. On a related but slightly less Metaswitch focus notes, I also saw that there was an announcement that AT&T are basically handing over their 5G network to Microsoft to run. Did you see that and what do you make of that? And is is the Metaswitch mobile packet core re relevant to that at all, do you think? This is the big game. This is for me is the big game that Microsoft's playing, which also puts into context I think some of these other announcements and where they're looking to compete and not compete. So there's been the big discussion which i'm sure we'll move on to which is you know is teams going to compete and all the telcos you know go away as a result of that but microsoft are making some big strategic deals so there's you know rumors around bt in the same way at&t you know there's been a number of announcements of large scale mo not only mobile but they want to they want the main threat the main person they want to be is aws you know they want to win the mega cloud competition and that's much more important than winning the voice minutes from the carrier and dominating you know and having all the regulation headaches of delivering voice is winning the mega cloud battle so i think the at&t announcement is really really interesting as part of that and also there's as i say we've seen other things in europe in bt and others where there's been strategic relationships announced where there's big deals being done uh, you know around compute around network which i think the angle that microsoft are really looking at how can they win that aws battle because before all these announcements aws was a, i think more of the choice and google were, were more of the choice for carriers than microsoft in the cloud environment so i think you know, we're starting to see that change and they're going to leverage a number of these tools to win that battle because they probably don't worry so much. They probably don't have sleepless nights about AT&T or BT or Verizon so much, but I'm sure, you know, top of their strategic battle card is AWS and, and, and Google. So, you know, that's where I think they're trying to win the war. War is yep. probably a strong word, but uh, well, I don't know. Recently, uh, I was seeing AWS and Microsoft in the US. They've they had a sort of truce, which they've now announced that they're no longer having a truce. I think it was over the big big government contract, wasn't it? It was in the news a couple of days ago that's being renegotiated. So yeah, it may be a war is maybe a fairer, <laughs> a fair <laughs> a analogy fair at least. Yeah, analogy. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think I would agree. The, the things I have heard, it does seem like the big picture is all about just getting Azure used more. That is that is the key in everything. Everything else is just focused on on that goal. Okay, so stepping back maybe a bit more to the big picture, you know, the you know, MetaSwitch and Microsoft acquisition is just one example of a kind of general consolidation that's been going on among vendors, the voice space, Cisco Broadsoft being another example from our world. 
Why do you think we have this trend? Or maybe I should ask, is that a trend? Right? Am, I, am I right in seeing that trend? And if so, is this just the long-term direction of the industry to have just a few big players? Or is this part of a cycle and we'll see lots of new innovative companies come up and it'll kind of restart? Well, it's it's a you know traditional consolidation cycle probably. And it's at a number of different layers. So we're seeing consolidation in the core switch vendors and the SBC vendors. We've seen consolidation in some of the application providers. So we worked a bit with a company called Dubber, you might have seen, who bought a couple, you might know, bought a couple of core recording companies, for instance, and we're seeing that trend elsewhere. And we're seeing the service providers trend both in the US and in Europe. We've seen consolidation amongst the cloud the pure you know, the cloud comms providers and i i think it's really at a point now where people have really got to make a diff- decision about how they differentiate and one of the ways of differentiating is getting scale you know it's becoming more relevant getting a bigger a bigger base but there's other ways so we're seeing other companies who are focusing on providing still that really strong local support but we are seeing a general trend in terms of consolidation of technology and service providers so You've seen that somewhat in the US. We've seen service provider consolidation within the what was the Broadsoft base, and you're seeing, and that's continuing, and in general service providers, we've seen that quite a bit. People like Momentum and others who've been acquiring service providers, you know, people like Sangoma emerging, buying Star to Star and, and, and other pieces in the US market. And in Europe, we're seeing a similar trend where we're seeing players emerge as in multiple countries, so companies like a company called Destiny who bought up multiple providers in different markets to provide a multinational and a, and a differentiated offering. So I think it's a kind of a general trend, particularly as you're facing more and more competition and possibly stronger competition than you used to have. So you've got to really think about how you differentiate You know what you do around that. So I think that's partly partly the trend so some people are saying well i do it by getting to to scale if i get to scale then i I can compete more effectively against um, providers maybe i offer a more regional service in the u.s we're seeing others who as i say are still trying are building a local service-based proposition still and that's still very valid and then we're seeing the global guys who are just trying to buy the market you know competing on I mean, uh, in the US market, competing on spiffs and trying to buy the channel, and there's a lot of activity there. So I think it's a kind of a trend that's going to stay. There's going to be a group of people who try and get to scale, and they're going to consolidate, and that's going to happen in the vendor and the service provider range, and you're going to get the pieces around, which is quite fragmented, come together. And then when you've got probably a few less platforms, and there's possibly more opportunity for people to innovate, interestingly enough. Because there was always a challenge, you know, I've got to innovate on Metaswitch, Broadsoft, NetSapiens, and yes, there's a number of platforms around the world I've got to do. If that comes together and there's more people on it, and it's actually also a marketplace for innovative technology companies to be able to, to build services. So, you know, around the Broadsoft and Metaswitch communities, there was quite a group of uh, innovators. You know, if there becomes more scale in less place players, then maybe that gives those guys some opportunity. The other thing I've seen a few examples of in a similar angle, but maybe not quite the same, is I've seen a fair amount of private equity kind of getting into buying up service providers. Yeah, That's obviously not driven by quite the same motivators because it's not like they, they are an existing provider who are kind of just trying to scale. What's, what's driving that, do you think? Well, the, the, the motivator is just the amount, one of the motivators, the amount of capital is around. So there's a hell of a lot of private equity money around at the moment and they're looking for what they believe to be safe havens for it 
and a recurring revenue-based contracted business um, around communications appears to them to be cloud-based, appears to be a fairly safe harbour. Mm-hmm. So there's not a day, almost a day goes by that we don't get called by some PE firm who wants to investigate the market because they want to do a consolidation and, you know, how could we do it? How could we go around it? And there's been some, you know, attractive returns for investors. I mean, the valuation of some of the businesses in this space is eye-dropping, right? You know, some of the valuations ring and and people like 8 by 8 have generated, make it quite attractive from a, an investor point of view. And the fundamentals of it's a recurring revenue contracted business in communications, which is normally even in a downturn, the last place that companies turn off their expenditure yeah. is a is an interesting prospect. And it's just the market is awash with money, which seems an odd thing to say. We could talk about SPACs, um, which is a US <laughs> derivative. When I have to explain these things as a foreigner sometimes, you know, this is basically a check that somebody writes to somebody and then they go and buy, try and They've got a year to spend it on whatever they feel is most of sense to bring it together. I mean, the market's a bit mad at the moment. Yeah. So I think it's money, safe haven, and potentially high, what they perceived as high valuations. They are scared a little bit by the impact of Microsoft and these other guys on the market. So they are worried about the long term. Some of the mad valuations we've seen are starting to be affected a little bit because there is some questions about how sustainable are people against some of this mega competition. Is is Microsoft and Google and everybody else going to kind of take on the market? So. Yeah, so let's talk about that, and particularly from the point of view of the smaller ILEC, which, as you say, is most of my client base and, yeah, you know, the folks who are probably listening to this. So if you're an independent telco, and you're seeing all of this consolidation among the vendors, among the big players. How should you feel about that? Like, How how can they compete in this market? Well, the, the first thing to say is I kind of, we've done some work with some guys like that, and we've had common customer maybe in reInvent and the Saddleback. So I understand those businesses, even though I speak with a foreign, <laughs> a foreign voice, uh, you know, in the US. I think it's a similar challenge for everybody. That there's always opportunity when larger companies are around. So when we look at Microsoft, for instance, on Teams, initially around 7% of Teams users were using it for voice, approximately. And of that 7%, that's global. Of that 7%, something like 80% were using it for direct routing. Uh, you know, only a small, and it does ma- it does change by market. So I haven't got the US numbers in front of me, but we produce those numbers. But so if you start with that point of view, that okay, so people are going to use Teams, but the predominant of what they're going to use Teams for, the voice is still going to be going to service provider. And people say, why? Well, why? And why is that a trend that that isn't going to change? It may not change in the short term. And, and there's a couple of indicators why. There was always the issues. Does the phone system itself have enough capability? Question mark. Does it do everything we need to do? Do I trust Microsoft to be my service organization? So I think where small ILEX can really add value is around service and their ability to react, their ability to be flexible, their ability to understand the customer requirement. And I think that's you know that's one of the areas why might people who haven't gone to don't feel comfortable about going to Microsoft necessarily for those types of for these sorts of services. 
you know, so the majority of the business we believe is still going to be the voice is not going to be with Microsoft. So these guys are going to come in, but that might be an opportunity. You might suddenly be able to pick up some of the business from them. And the question is, how do you add value around that? And we don't believe that everybody's going to go to Teams Voice, right? We estimate that something like it will represent, and I haven't got my US numbers in front of me, which I should have, but it's something we reckon in a few years or in five years, it'll be something like 27%, I believe. I'll, I can confirm that. We'll, we do think Teams is going to be a significant part of the market. We don't think it's going to take all of it. And particularly where it's not going to be as successful potentially is in some of the SME or in the me market where the ILEX are really strong because they have really strong local connections. Mm-hmm. So you might end up having to offer direct routing as well as against you alongside your other services. And you're, you, where you can differentiate is also think about integration and customer experience. So how do you integrate, integrate the tools that your customer wants to use as well? So that's another area which where some of these guys aren't so good because they want to build one size that fits all, fits millions of users globally. So I think service integration and the combination of the access network as well. So how can you improve experience, build a total solution? So I know a lot of people are really proactive, for instance, with home working packages and thinking around the customer. So my message to ILEX is don't underestimate your relationship with the customer and really spend money on that and time and effort and double down your efforts to understand really what they want because that's where your differentiation lies is you might also have some network asset by the way which differentiates you and some other things but when we do enterprise we do enterprise research in the US and in Europe and we do focus groups and you know that trusted advisor is really important that local person that they trust that they use that they is still massively important in the buying scheme so i think that can't be underestimated the main thing is you've got to face up to it you've got to realize that you know microsoft isn't going away teams is done brilliantly it's going to be there you've got to have an offering there you can't hide under the pillow thinking it's going to go away because it isn't so take it head on really you might lose some margin there but think about how you can bring together other services around that that will make it better, maybe integrate another product. You know, as I say, I don't think it's going to be all your customer base. It's going to be a fraction, you know, a reasonably important fraction of the business. My advice is I've been, when I have worked with ILEX, I've worked with a couple in the US. I've been staggered, not staggered, but been really impressed with the local touch. You know, you can drive to the office in an hour of the person who's got the problem and sort it out right yeah whereas you're not getting that from microsoft you know <laughs> after you've been on a call for probably on a, a hotline to india or wherever ever for, i'm not i'm being i'm not meaning to be cruel but the service relationship is not going to be the same yeah so don't underestimate that importance of that i think yep i fully agree i think the for any ILEC, the fact that they are a local business in the local community and you can physically see them and they can send somebody on site is super powerful. And I would agree with that. And you touched on briefly the kind of other approach, which is effectively to create more integrations with the tools that people need, which is more of like a kind of a vertical integration within a niche approach. I know of some businesses which, for example, Education Networks of America provide VoIP specifically to schools and educational institutions. So they have a you know more integration with what schools need. And you could obviously do that in different industries, healthcare or hospitality or whatever. Yeah, and there's been some good examples in the US where that's worked. So a good friend of mine runs, um, Armin runs a company called Blue IP, which is well known for hospitality. And actually, when hospitality went terribly bad, he was had a Broadsoft solution, and he moved very much towards Microsoft. 
and actually moved into some other segments with integrations, including, including I know he's been very successful in the health sector by doing some specific integrations and understanding the requirements of that industry. So understand the requirements of your local customers and industries and build platforms. And, you know, I've seen all sorts of things done like commercial offerings. So the famous one is that schools only get charged for all their extensions during term time because they realise you've only got two extensions being used the rest of when you're out of term. You stuff just really get close to the customer and think about what you can do. It's not all about technical. It's all a mixture of commercial and technical things you can do to differentiate. That makes sense. Again, from the from the point of view of a, an ILEC who maybe has a fiber network that they've been building out, and going back to this idea of the PE money, if you were a small ILEC and maybe you've seen a, another ILEC in the next town over get acquired by a, a private equity firm, I guess two questions. One, should you desire the same thing to happen to you? Like, is that actually good for you? And if you did desire it, what would make you attractive to a potential investor? Hmm. So I work a lot for PE firms and I do a horrible <laughs> thing called commercial and technical diligence and mainly commercial, but sometimes technical as well. And so bear in mind, if you engage the PE firm, they will bring people like me who will investigate your whole business. So be prepared firstly for scrutiny. So if you're not very, that keen on scrutiny and you want to own your own destiny, PE may be not the right route for you or be very careful on the PE firm you engage because PE, there's lots of different types and different animals within the PE environment. So I would first be aware what will happen if you enter a process with a PE firm, there'll be a lot of internal scrutiny and you need to be very clear on your answers and your questions and everything like that. Why would you want it? You may want it if you believe you know, you might believe by having looked carefully and said, well, really to be to have a successful strategy, I might have a bit more regional. I might need to grow to be more of a, you know, more of a broader provider. And therefore, you may well need investment to do that. And that's where you may well go to, to a firm to help you achieve those goals. So I think that's why you might want to do it. Or you might, depending on your ownership structure, you might, you might find it is time for an exit. You might want to exit the business. You know, you might decide that there's a PE firm who's interested in doing a roll-up. So a PE firm will probably be looking looking for growth and is looking for ambition. So he's not going to come in and let you operate as you are and just they're looking for something um, special, particularly in the fibre. They're quite interested in investing in fibre in areas where there is a solid asset. If you, if I was looking for growth, I was looking, you know, and looking to expand, I may well engage a P firm. My advice would be you will lose some control and you will be under greater scrutiny. One of the things we do quite often is actually help companies prepare for that. So before you go to a process, somebody like, get somebody like, it doesn't have to be awesome, maybe you as well, Andrew, from a technical and commercial point of view, have a look, get somebody who's going to scrutinize your business and ask you the difficult questions before you get asked them during the process. So that's quite a good piece of advice is to get somebody in to have a look um, because I will ask you a series of questions and some of them will be <laughs> be quite you know, prying. And if you've already prepared your answers and prepared your pitch, you're in a lot better position. So I think PE will find you attractive if you've got some nice strong asset. They look for some revenue, solid customer revenue growth over a period of years and, um, you know, feel like they've got a solid business, but they'll be looking for growth. So they're looking for ambition. So, you know, they're going to be looking not at you just to, you know, keep your sort of steady state business. So, yeah. 
Um, consider it. I mean, P is a good a vehicle, but go into open eyes, really. They're going to scrutinise you. They're going to bring in all sorts of annoying people like me who are going to ask you difficult questions. And if you don't like that, <laughs> no point going into it. And if you're not prepared, you'll just fail. So, and then it's a very, and it also distracts the business. So if you're going to go into it, it will distract the business for a while. So you want to be very well prepared before you do it. Yep. I think both of us are people who own our own business where we have no outside scrutiny and full control. So uh, I think it's probably not something I would personally do, but I can certainly see the see the benefits um, if you've got that level of ambition and if you're comfortable with outside advisors who obviously are probably giving you good advice. It's just, you've got to be ready to hear it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's not really always hear, good to hear your baby's ugly, you know. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, Matt, I want to um, be respectful of your time, so I think we should uh, wrap there. This has been a, a fascinating discussion. As we wrap up, if there are listeners who want to learn more about Cavell or learn more about the events that you host with the Cloud Communications Alliance, where can they go to find more information? Cavellgroup.com, and uh, there's a section called Events, and you, if you go onto that, you'll see the Cloudcom Summit. We, uh, really good for ILEX. You know, this year we'll have all the major guys speaking, so Microsoft and all the different vendors, um, Cisco, et cetera, et cetera. And what the really thing is, it's, it's, so, it's in association with the Cloud Comms Alliance. So it's a chance for service providers to get together and share thoughts. So a lot of it is forum-based. So you'll find that there's a lot of uh, sessions where you'll meet other service providers and share thoughts and what's going on. We do have a Microsoft forum going on in the in the meeting, and we do have a a Broadworks forum as well. And there's a, so there's a few different forum in, in within it as well. But feel free to come across. So Phoenix will be lovely at the end of September, just about bearable from a heat point of view. And we're going to have quite a lot of the event outside being COVID um, aware. So a lot of the event is actually going to be weather permitting, he says, is going to be outside in, you know, so they'll be in, you'll hopefully enjoy that aspect of it as well. Excellent. Well, thank you. That sounds uh, very appealing. And I certainly agree that the more community we can have um, among service providers, um, the more opportunities to meet together, particularly as we exit from COVID and get to be able to see people in face-to-face, the better. And I think this is a great opportunity to do that. Thank you again, Matt, for joining us. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please be sure to join us again next time for VoIP for Independent Telecoms. Thank you very much.